Um, So Mark is the shortest of the four and reads kind of quickly. It's as if the the writer wanted to get to the point fast. Um, Perhaps if you were in a place of the world that wouldn't take kindly to the concept of someone being called Lord other than Caesar, you would want to make sure that your story got to the point. The story is action-packed. It's full of strange and mysterious things. Uh, It often speaks of demons and has a tone of spiritual warfare that fill its limited pages. Uh, Jesus is pictured as a healer. He's even pictured at times as an exorcist, someone who mysteriously has authority over the dark forces of this world. And perhaps this is referring to the actual demonic forces. Perhaps it's referring to Jesus' authority over the imperial forces that have occupied the land of Israel with their power, with their domination. But regardless, Jesus Christ is shown in these pages as having authority. He's shown having authority in, way that no, in a way that no one else has. In fact, he's shown to have authority in this story in a way that only God is supposed to have. Last week, Jason told us about how Mark begins the story with words of prophecy, at least in part uh, taken from the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Now, if this was the start of a movie, we would see kind of like the black screen, blank screen, and then white letters appear that kind of show us the first three verses written hundreds of years earlier that say, see, I am coming, I am sending you my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then, I love this, we're taken to the busy Judean countryside. We're taken like to the thick of the thing, thick of the thing, to, to, to the people itself. The multitude of people are gathering around the Jordan River. This is the first image that we get in the book of Mark, the first image that Mark gives us. And indeed, some of it would appear that, that, that people are actually going, they're going into the river. There must have been some people in the crowd who were still trying to figure out what exactly was going on. If you were in the back, it, it, it kind of almost looked like, like some wilderness-looking man was like dunking people in the water. And as you stood, perplexed at the sight before you, inching your way closer along with the crowd, you began to hear the words of the people in the river. You you began to hear what they were saying as this crazy, wide-eyed wilderness man kind of lowered them into the water. They were saying idolatry. They were saying immorality. They were saying lust or, or coveting. They were saying greed. It It sounds like they're confessing their sins. Every so often, this man would say something to the effect of the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thongs of his sandals. I've baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, this wild man, did anybody see the clip of Mick Dodge on the E! New Hope this week? That's a crazy show. Anyway, This man who wore clothes made of camel's hair and this leather belt around his waist. The leather belt's not all that weird because I I have the leather belt on. Wild man. Um, This man ate locusts and and wild honey for his lunch. Uh, He's traditionally called John the Baptist. Not because he was from Georgia, but because he was engaging in this tradition of baptism. That was, in a sense, 
preparing the people crowded around um, and indeed in in the Jordan River for what God was going to do next. John the Baptist was announcing to the people that they better wake up. He literally wanted to splash water on their face and give them fresh eyes to watch what God was like about to do in their midst. Last night we were blessed to be um, uh, to host an, an epiphany service uh, here with St. Hilda's, uh, and you, uh, Bishop Eugene Sutton preached and, and presided, and it was a, he gave a fantastic sermon through which he spoke very highly of New Hope, by the way. Becky and, and Shannon spent some time on Friday cleaning the kitchen because the, the, a local congregation had been, had been serving us, and they wanted to make sure that the place had been given a, an extra bit of attention I've been watching a lot of the show, The, the Crown, on Netflix uh, about the early days of, of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. And there's a British joke that says, wherever the queen goes, she smells fresh paint. This is what John's baptism was all about. John the Baptist was announcing to the people of the, on this Judean countryside that God was about to do a great thing. And it is right, it is fit, it is proper for you to prepare for it. It wasn't like a look busy, Jesus is coming kind of moment. No, John was, John was actually reenacting a story that the Jewish people knew very well. It was a story that defined them as a people. God had rescued them from slavery and took them from bondage to freedom through the waters of the Red Sea. And now... Here, John the Baptist was reenacting this story by getting the people involved. He, he was using something physical to communicate something spiritual. He was using something visible to communicate something invisible. Come down to the river. Confess the sins of bondage that have been weighing you down. Reject this world of sin that wants nothing more than slavery for you through vices, through harmful addictions, through collusion with the empire, and through, worst of all, worship to other gods. Come down and be cleansed. Come down and repent. Mark tells us that John the Baptist was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word repentance literally means to turn around, go the other way. You've been going the way of this world. You've been going the way of sin. And if you want to get on board with what the God of the universe is doing, if you want to get on board with his cosmic reconciliation and his game plan for how this is all actually going to be restored and reconciled, if you want to get on board, get on God's team, you have to repent. You've got to turn around and you've got to begin to move in his direction and walk on his path. See, see, not even John the Baptist knew what God really had in store. But if he somehow knew, but he did somehow knew, uh, know in a mysterious way that he was preparing for the arrival of someone who was going to rock the empires of this world to its very foundations. Not only the empire of Rome, but the empire of sin that had held people uh, in this world in bondage Evidently, he knew that what he did with, with water now would one day uh, be done by the one who was, co- who, was com- who was to come with nothing short of God's Holy Spirit. You, you might say with, with Lady Mac- like Lady Macbeth, 
um, you know, no, how matter, no, no matter how much I wash, this blood just doesn't come off. That's true. Water can only get you so clean. But, but what we're doing now is in preparation for what God's anointed is going to do with the Holy Spirit. And again, not even John knew what that was all about. But, but like the writer of the Gospel of Mark, John viewed his role as a mystery to live through, not a problem to solve. Gabriel Marcel tells us that a mystery is very different from a problem. While a mystery can be solved, a, 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 a problem can be solved, a mystery is inexhaustible. A problem can be held at arm's length. A mystery encompasses us and will not let us keep a safe distance. John the Baptist was an excellent example who was so, of someone who was living into the mystery of God. And I wonder, in what ways are we attempting to solve problems when God is calling us to live in a mystery? How much of my faith is me choosing to follow God? And how much of my faith is God calling me to follow Him? I'm, I'm not sure that that's a problem that I need to solve. I think that's a mystery that I need to live into. God, or John was not calling them to have all the answers. He was calling them to lay down their baggage. After one day, after, uh, and one day, after weeks, after, after uh, months, after years maybe of doing this thing, this man comes down to be baptized by John that was unlike any other. Jesus enters the river and he wades over to John. And this time, there is no sin to confess. This time, when this man Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens are torn open. A spirit, the spirit descends like a dove onto him. And a voice from heaven says, You are my son. You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Fast forwarding to the end of the story. After Jesus had lived and, and taught, after he had been arrested and tried as an innocent man, crucified at the hands of the emperor, after he had defeated death and evil and sin itself and risen on the third day in resurrection, before he is about to leave his disciples at the end of the book of Matthew, Jesus looks them in the face and gives them what we call the Great Commission. He doesn't tell them everything that's about to happen. He, he'd already given them enough to chew on. He doesn't tell them to go out and solve all the world's problems. He wants them to live into the radical, restoring, mysterious revolution of the gospel. He simply says, go and make disciples of every nation. The things that I did for you guys, I want you to do that for the world. And the sign, the ceremony, the ritual, the, the physical enactment of this gospel that you are to proclaim, how you are to proclaim this physically is going to be made manifest in the act of baptism. He says, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you. Always, to the end of the age. Later on, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, if you choose to follow Jesus, there will be death. It will cost you something. It will be a death to the bondage of sin. It will be a death to the personal claim that you have over your life because your life was bought at a price. You won't be given all the answers, but you will be given abundant life offered by the only one who is worthy of our worship. Each of us are called to get on this path to, to seek His kingdom, but the thing is, no one can make that choice for you. Your parents can't make that choice for you. Your spouse can't make that choice for you. And especially your pastor cannot make that choice for you. It's something that has to be between you and God. That path can begin right here. That path can begin right now with nothing more than a silent prayer to God that your Father, that you belong to Jesus Christ. Trusting Him for salvation from the bondage of sin, but... But friends, we're not called to stay silent. We're called to proclaim our faith. And the first way that we are called to do this is through baptism. For thousands of years, the church has seen the act of baptism as the initiation into God's family. In some, God-honoring, Jesus-loving, faithful traditions, children are baptized and then their faith is confirmed later in life. At New Hope, we choose instead to dedicate children into God's family and promise to partner with, with parents in the raising of a child and then invite them to be baptized at an older age once faith is professed. Our church has over the years baptized individuals as young as elementary students. Others have come to the faith later in life. There, there is no right age to be baptized. There is only the question, is Jesus Lord? Have you given your life to Him? Have you named Him as your Master? If those things aren't true of you, you need to know that you are absolutely welcome here. We want New Hope Community Church to be a place where you feel free to wrestle with the things to, of God, free to doubt and free to seek. As the pastor of this community, I have enough faith in my God to believe that He will make Himself known to you in His time, not mine. And it is absolutely true that I desire each and every person in this room to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ right now. But if you're not there yet, you need to hear that you're loved. You need to hear that you're valued. You need to hear that you're welcome. You need to hear that you're family. However, if Jesus is your Lord, if you would confess him as king and savior, then I would challenge you to make a public declaration of your faith through baptism if you, if you haven't already done so. Come talk with me about it. No, nothing would make me more happier. Although, since I'd be in the water with you, I, I would suggest waiting a few months. I guess we could find like an indoor pool. Baptism is it's considered a sacrament. It's, it's one of the two sacraments commonly recognized in Protestant traditions. Uh, we'll get to the second one in just a moment. Augustine called sacraments visible signs that represent an invisible reality. 
the church universal holds a diversity of sacramental theology in tension among its various branches. And, and personally, I, I prefer to see sacraments as a mystery to live into and not a problem to solve. But there was something that happened to me this past week that helped me think about sacraments in a whole new light. See, I, I got ordained this past Saturday, or I guess a week ago last night. And um, I had known a little bit about what was going to happen that evening, a little bit about, uh, uh, Jason had mentioned a couple of readings, and, and Dr. Gorman, I knew he was going to be speaking. But in reality, I was, I was in the dark for most of it. Jason had brilliantly planned this service, and he wanted it to be um, something that was a joy to me, and I have to say that it was in spades. It was overwhelming. It was incredible. I got in during the day. I got that letter that we read last week. Or Kevin led last week about uh, from Bishop Sutton. I mean, I would imagine the Episcopal Bishop of Maryland doesn't write emails to, you know, everybody all day long. But he wrote one, and that was extremely touching. I was already filled with a sense of excitement and anticipation and humility just before I even got there because I read this just this email from this man, and I and I came in that door over there. And this was when um, folks had already started to arrive. Folks had already been starting to kind of put some things together. And I walk over this door, and I hear the voice of Matthew Winner leading worship. And that filled me with emotion that, like, Matthew Winter's up there playing guitar. If, for those of you who don't know, Matthew was a worship leader for us for years. For over 10 years, he was a worship leader here, and he, he came back for that night. And then I walked in a little closer, and I, that's my friend Zach Lefebvre. He's playing, he's playing the cajon. He lives in Cleveland. What's he doing here? My, my friend Mike Bukas flew up from Florida, and he was playing the electric guitar. And then the next day, he got to play electric guitar with me as we led worship the next day. What's he doing here? And I, and I, I got to sit through the service, and I got to do the, hear these readings um, done by um, uh, Chris Kovalenko, who, who worked for me, with me at Scientific at uh, the pest control company I've worked for for the last 12 years. Um, the operations manager from Scientific was here. My, my father was, was over here. And, and um, my friends Bill Corrigan and Matt Fisher sat in the back, my friends from high school. And, and my, my youth pastor, Brian Float, was in the back. And my mother was here. My, not there. <laughs> and, and then I got to hear... From, from Kevin Jones, who, who spoke from the, for the New Hope community, from my family, telling me that they wanted to, to ordain me as a gospel, as, as a minister of the gospel. And, and I got to, oh, and, and then Brent Latham from, from the EI came up and led clergy around me and prayed for me with all these other, these men that had poured their lives into ministry. And, and I got to be prayed for by them. Let me tell you through all of this, the English language was not adequate enough for me to say how much that event meant to me. I couldn't have done it. I was completely overwhelmed. My, my emotions were getting the better of me. I was so grateful that a part of this service 
was worship to God because I needed to respond to the kind of overwhelming emotions that I was feeling. I needed to respond in worship. I needed to respond by, by getting on this kneeler here. I needed to respond by getting on my knees and thanking God for what he's doing in my life, for what he's doing in my community, for what he's doing in my church. I needed to do something physical to show how I was feeling emotionally and spiritually. So friends, I think about that Judean countryside. I think about those people who who had followed Jesus, who had witnessed the crucifixion, who had seen the risen Lord, and who had been told about this gospel, that whatever baggage, that whatever bondage, whatever things had weighed you down, God has taken care of that on the cross, and he has victory over death and sin and evil itself. The victory, the battle has been won. And when you're faced with that kind of grace, when you're slapped in the face with that kind of emotion, words will fail you. Of course we need to use words to proclaim the gospel and we would use the word of God to spread the news. But there was something physical that those people needed to do to show I have new life in Christ and I don't care who knows it. In fact, I want everybody to know it. And so what they do to show that is run into the water and splash water on their face, dunk in and says, I have new life in Christ. Because there was something physical that needed to happen to show that this new life, that new, this new creation had begun. Baptism is a physical way of putting physical, uh, uh, of, of putting expression to the gospel and its effect on you. This second sacrament is the sacrament of Eucharist, uh, or Mass, Communion, Lord's Supper. See, this is the meal that Jesus gave us in remembrance of his gospel. Isn't it interesting, by the way, baptism and Eucharist? eating things, mealing, and washing. Like, these are two things that we do all the time. I mean, thankfully, we live in a world where, you know, people bathe every day. That wasn't always the case. But, but we do, so all the better for us. Anyway, we, you know, eating and bathing. These are like common everyday occurrences. And God is calling us, like, you, you remember these things. You remember these common everyday things. When you, when you have a meal and you thank God, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. When you clean yourself, when you get cleansed with water, remind yourself that you are being washed by the Holy Spirit every day. Our communion table at New Hope is... Uh, open to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we do this, we call on all Christians. We invite all Christians, come forward. This is a family meal. It's a physical thing that we can do to show this incredible transformation that God's doing in our lives. Um, The bread is unleavened. The red is wine. The white is grape juice. But before we partake, would you please stand and join as churches throughout the centuries have done in the reading of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.